the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom reign. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Of March 2023, can you believe it? It's been an awful year, that's for sure. It, it's from the very beginning. I am Khalid Namar. I'm in for Bob France today. As you can tell, whenever you hear that music, you know it's not Bob France. It is I, Khalid Namar, once again in the big chair for my brother Bob France. And I always look to do him justice sitting in this seat. And I want to thank him for this wonderful opportunity he always gives me. Whenever he calls my number, I always tell him I'm off the bench when you call my number, brother. So thank you for the for this opportunity. We have a very interesting show today. I always thought I'd have an interesting show. And again, to do Bob Justice sitting in his seat, we're going to be talking about coming up in a few moments. How would you all like to have no income tax in the state of Ohio? Every time I ask that question, I see people's eyes light up. Well, there are efforts underway to cut the Ohio income tax led by great organizations like Americans for Prosperity, an organization that is very close to my heart because I work with them. Uh, we are trying to eliminate the income tax in Ohio. So we're going to be talking 
very shortly with Representative uh, Adam Matthews, who sponsored the bill, uh, House House Bill 1. And you can't find any objective descriptions of the bill. It all leans towards the negative. Well, Representative Matthews is going to be on to answer questions. Possibly if you want to call in at 216-901-0945, clarify what the bill is and how it's going to benefit Ohioans. We hope to be joined by Greg Lawson, also the Buckeye Institute. Uh, If he finds the time, he'll call in and chime in. He is a serious brain on economic matters. And actually, uh, one of these days, I would love to interview him on world affairs. He might even be sharper on world affairs. So we're going to be talking about that coming up in a few moments. The next hour, we will have Celeste Duffy, who is the author of the Ask Backwards Way Move Forward. We've had her on the show before. And I guess I can say that. Can I say that, Josh? Okay, good. (laughs) I should have asked first. Anyway. Okay, it's called the Ask Backers Way to Move Forward. Celeste Duffy will be here. She's from Washington, D.C. And we'll be talking about a a couple of disturbing uh, topics, alarming topics, including the increasing and alarming murder rates of black women here in the United States over the last two, three years. It is disturbing. We're going to get into that. And in the third hour, I have my little brother, Kane Schmidt, on, who is the host of a podcast that I happen to be on sometimes. It's called The Modern Method, where we kind of get into some global and economic issues. Uh, it's, it's fun. It's very fun. And uh, it's a lot of fun. So Kane Schmidt will be on in the third hour. However, first up, as I mentioned, uh, efforts are on the way to eliminate uh, the Ohio income tax sponsored by... Uh, House District 56 Representative Adam Matthews from the great city of Lebanon. How are you, Representative Matthews? Doing great. Thank you so much, Glee, for having me on the show. And uh, great, grateful to have you coming off the bench here on opening day. <laughs> Absolutely. So. Thank you for coming on to talk about this issue because, you know, if you, if you try to read any objective uh, information about the uh, HB1, you, you won't find it. It, it kind of all leans towards what it's going to do to Ohioans and what it's going to cost Ohioans and how it's going to benefit the wealthy. Hopefully, uh, Greg Lawson, our, our friend, will join us shortly. But tell us, Representative Matthews, what is the what is HB one and how will it benefit Ohioans? Sure, House Bill one is uh, going to be the largest tax cut Ohio has ever seen, getting us to become yet another flat tax state and have the lowest rate in the region at 2.75. It'd be an income tax cut for everyone currently paying income taxes. And we'd be the second lowest rate in the country behind Arizona and then all the states that are at zero percent. The negative comments that you're hearing from the media are people that don't believe that Taxpayer dollars are taxpayer dollars. There's people that assume that things are better when the government has more of your money. And we are really trying to remind everyone that you're the ones that work hard. The businesses are the ones that work hard. People are trying to put money on their table. And the government and Columbus has collected so much more money that we have a huge uh, excess revenue balance here. And that, that's wrong. There's no such thing as government money. It's all taxpayer money. 
and it needs to be back in the pockets of hardworking Ohioans, and that's what we're going to do to treat everyone equally for the law and have a flat rate at 2.75 on the way down to set us up for 0% in the future. We don't want Representative Adam Matthews from the House District 56 who's talking about the elimination of the Howe income tax in a bill that he sponsored. Uh, 16 states have eliminated their, their income tax, so some of the proponents of the bill is talking about are talking about how Ohio can remain or will become more competitive. Talk about that and the potential for increased business activity with an elimination of our income tax. Sure. Uh, we've been cutting the, our state income tax piecemeal for the last 10, 15 years, and every time we've dropped the marginal tax rate, the last three times we've actually increased revenue because you have the increased economic activity. You look at migration within the United States. The 10 states with the lowest income tax rates, including the 0%, have gained over 2% of their pop- population, whereas the top 10 tax states, including Ohio, have lost about 1.5% of their populations. We need to do something to keep people here. We can't create more be- more beaches here. We can't create uh, a better weather. But we can create a business environment that encourages families and businesses to move and stay here. And by signaling to the whole country that we are a flat tax state, we're treating everyone equally, uh, and cutting their taxes, we can do better. Ohio spends per capita 40% more than uh, Florida does. And I'm not sure our results are 40% better. So there are things that we can do to shrink the government and keep the money where it is, where it's supposed to be, in the wallets and the bank accounts of, of people throughout the state, from Cincinnati up to Cleveland to Lebanon uh, to Toledo. So I, I happen to have been in the uh, Waynes and Means Committee hearing. We were talking about the uh, HB1 and there were some questions from some opponents, and one of them, I won't mention his name, was yelling in the back, well, not yelling, but whispering in the back about, quote-unquote, voodoo economics. And that followed some questions that were asked about the cut to services. There's always this talk about services, you know, police, fire, or why can't we invest in mass transit and all these things when you talk about giving the taxpayer their money back. Explain how the services and schools will not be necessarily affected by a reduction or elimination of the high income tax, Representative Matthews. Sure. So the first, recall the member, and multiple times through these hearings, we've heard that the purpose of government is to provide services. The purpose of government is not, is services can be a means, but the purpose of government is to protect the rights that are given to us by our creator and protect those against anyone in uh, domestic reform. Uh, just catching that on that. However, uh, the, the way we have found that every time we've been cutting these taxes, we bring in more revenue because more activity happens. Uh, we will have static scoring because that's constitutionally required on our budget, but that's not including any of Intel or Honda or those moving in. Uh, we can't budget for that increased economic activity. So even with discounting uh, increased economic activity, we're, bal- we're balancing the budget 
uh, with the budget that's coming out from the House and then the Senate that includes uh, the full school funding that uh, we've been talking about for years uh, with the Cut Patterson funding, as well as looking at Senate Bill 11, which has the uh, expansion of school choice. We're going to be able to do that with that static scoring without having to make any assumptions. And I, uh, I am expecting, and we can't make this assumption on the budget, but I am expecting that there will be increased economic activity and we'll have even more money coming in because more people will be living, working here, building value, building growth. And in two years, again, we'll have an excess balance fund that we can use to decrease taxes yet again on the way to 0%. So one of the questions I get pretty regularly, and I'm sure others do, is the question of how is the state going to make up for that revenue? Now, you talked about increased economic activity. What are the county sales taxes? How do they play into this? Are we expecting adjustments in county sales taxes, or or is that something that is not part of the uh, HB1 uh, uh, remedy? We're not touching sales tax at all in House Bill 1. Uh, I'm not coming up here to raise taxes. Uh, the uh, the way that partially is to cover the $2.3 billion of revenue that we would not collect, that we would not take from the taxpayers. Half of that is we're not growing the budget. We're saving money by not spending it uh, on the state side. And the other is we're looking at saving people's uh, property taxes. The property taxes that we've had uh, for the last 40, 50 years continue to rise. They put our seniors in a really tough situation of paying rent for a house they've already paid off and on, on limited means. And the state has been incentivizing an increase of property taxes uh, since really they put the income tax in place. And we work to disentangle that, save money there. And in th- doing those things, we balance to get the uh, be able to get our income tax lower on the way to zero and protect our taxpayers, both on the property tax front and on the income tax front. And there's nothing here on sales tax uh, that we're discussing for House Bill 1. Representative Adam Matthews is our guest this morning here on the Bob France Show. We're talking about the elimination of the Howe income tax. If you've got any questions for the representative, please call 216-901-0945 or one 888 if you have questions or challenges uh, regarding the Ohio income tax elimination, uh, Representative Matthews, can you stay on with us uh, on the other side? Absolutely. All right. Thank you. I am Khalid Namar in for Bob France. Stick around. We are back live on the on the always always right radio show with Bob France. I am Colleen Mar in for Bob France today. We are talking to the new representative Adam Matthews, who is the sponsor of the HB one bill to flatten and eliminate the high income tax. We are pleased to be joined 
by Mr. Greg Lawson, one of my favorite people in the whole state of Ohio. I've interviewed him before. He is with the Buckeye Institute, one of the smartest people uh, I could possibly interview on not just economics but world affairs also. I'm looking forward to that interview, Greg, next time. Thank you for joining us. I know you got a few minutes. Uh, you can uh, field some questions for our guest. Greg, how you doing? Hey, doing very well, and apologize about that. I'm, I'm actually waiting in front of, and Representative Matthews will appreciate this, I'm waiting in front of the uh, full House Finance Committee to talk about school choice, another really important issue we face here in Ohio. Fantastic. Absolutely, absolutely. I'll tell you what, we got a uh, couple of minutes. Talk about the schools, because a lot of people have these, uh, these school boards are all over this bill. They're talking about how the schools are going to be affected, you shouldn't vote for this bill. Uh, Representative Matthews talked about it earlier. What is your take on the opposition and the fear mongering going on about school funding with the elimination of, of the high income tax? Well, look, there, there's definitely going to have to be adjustments made, and, and I understand some of the concerns that are out there. Some of it is hyperbole, and some of it is legitimate. Uh, and I think that uh, there's a lot of things that we can do to sort of ease the glide path on this. Uh, first of all, I do want to just say, fighting the income tax, it's the right thing to do for the state of Ohio. Uh, you look at all kinds of research that's done from economists around the country, and they will always tell you that when you reduce taxes on income, uh, that it will improve your GDP situation, the growth of the economy. So it's the right thing to do. Flattening it makes it more simple, treats people fairly across the board, uh, because it's the flat rate that everybody pays, so it's an equitable sort of situation for taxes, so it's the right thing to do as a matter of policy. Now, where the controversy really is coming in even more so in this particular bill is because of, obviously, some of the changes with the local governments, and there's an incredibly complicated situation that we face in Ohio uh, where we basically subsidize local governments and state tax revenues for decisions that are made through local levies. And that's what's driving a lot of the concern that you mentioned uh, from school boards, but cities, counties. I mean, everybody's got concerns about it. But here's the reality. Ohio, this is the 21st century. We have to get real. We have to understand that some of the old delivery uh, delivery of service models that we've had in the past need to be modified. They need to be changed. Uh, and we need to think through how we're going to do that. We might not be able to do it overnight, but we can do it over time if we're smart. And I think the General Assembly should take this opportunity. House Bill 1 is not only great tax policy, but it puts a flag uh, out there in terms of what is good policy for how we do uh, the delivery of services and, and local government in the state of Ohio. I think most Ohioans have no idea how complicated the local government is, how many different sorts of taxing authorities there are in the state of Ohio that can levy taxes on their property and how many levies there are on each individual piece of property. Every home, if you live in a house, you've probably got 20 different levies on them. Some of them have been around since the 50s or 60s. And then, of course, there's levies that you're renewing periodically, et cetera. It's really complicated stuff. We can deliver services better in Ohio. There are ways to do it. I've written about this for years. I'm trying to make sure members of the General Assembly look at this so that we can use this as the opportunity to not just make Ohio's tax climate better, which is important in and of itself, but so that we can have a conversation about how we join the 21st century with how our local governments are, are doing things. Ohio Representative Adam Matthews and Greg Lawson of the Buckeye Institute are our guests this morning. 
Greg, so with, with the taxing authorities in Ohio, a lot of people, when you talk about that issue, particularly like Rita, for example, nobody likes Rita. And everyone that I talk to has some sort of issue with Rita. Now, how many taxing authorities are there in Ohio? I heard that there's this astronomical number, and I think they've increased over the last five years or maybe decade. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm not sure if I have the exact number, but it's thousands. I mean, we have every, for example, there's 1,300 townships in Ohio. They all have property tax levies. That's how they get most of their revenue. There's 88 counties. There's over 900 municipalities, 600 of which have an income tax at the local level, separate from the state income tax. And I might add, Ohio is um, a rarity uh, across states that even has uh, the ability for cities to levy local income tax. Most states don't have that structure for their cities. There's over 600 school districts, which obviously have property taxes. And if you think about it, there's also over, I forget the number off the top of my head, but there's well over 100 school districts that in addition to the levies that they put on, uh, on for property tax levies, they also have a, a income tax for school districts. We are literally the only state in the entire country that allows school districts to levy uh, hyper-specific local income taxes for the purposes of funding schools at the local level. Only state that does that. So, you know, take a look at all of those. You've got uh, all kinds of soil and wastewater districts. You've got libraries. You've got county boards of, uh, for everything under the sun, from developmental disabilities to aging to children's services, and they all have separate ability to go to the ballot uh, themselves. So you're talking about thousands. Literally thousands. Wow, that is quite disturbing. Uh, it's actually worse than I thought it was. Um, Representative Matthews, Greg Lawson, you all are very busy men. I want to thank you for coming in and joining me on the, uh, the Bob France uh, All Right, Always Right Radio, the program this morning. I'll see you guys in Columbus, as I always do. I see a bumping in Greg uh, all the time with the Buckeye Institute. Go to BuckeyeBlueprint.com, sign our petition to eliminate the high income tax. Go to BuckeyeInstitute.org to check out a lot of their policy papers, which are very good. Representative Matthews, thanks again. Greg Lawson, I know you have to testify. Uh, good luck, and uh, I'm sure I'll hear about it. All right, thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. Appreciate it. Take care, gentlemen. Bye. Very insightful stuff. Representative Adam Matthews. Uh, the 5th of 6th District, uh, he is the sponsor of the uh, HB51, HB, HB1, I'm sorry, HB1. Also, Greg Lawson of the Buck Institute, solid, sharp man on the on these issues. So I want to thank both of them for coming in. Go to the Buckeye Blueprint website, sign that petition, because within five years, we could accomplish the goal. First, flatten it, then eliminate the high income tax. I will be back on the other side of the break uh, and talk more about what's actually we're going to news. Then we will come back on the other side with Celeste Duffy. We got some really heavy topics we're going to be talking about. I'm Khalid Namar in for Bob France. Stick around. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer.
We are back live in the second hour. I am Colleen Martin for Bob France, Always Right Radio. We have some very disturbing things going on. First of all, it's been an awful year. Uh, when you think about how this year started, it's just been bad news after bad news after tragedy after tragedy. It is really depressing to the point where there are times where I just had to back away from the news because of just like, oh, God, what happened today? And it, so I'm, I'm hoping it, it's got to get better. It's got to get better. But we're going to talk about some some issues that have been concerning me and, and a good friend of mine who is on the line right now. Her name is Celeste Duffy. Celeste is a very funny, insightful author. But we're going to do the pledge first before we get to Celeste Duffy. Pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. (laughs) Thanks to The Rock and Josh Boo for that. That's awesome. <laughs> Back to Celeste, my friend Celeste Duffy. She is a very insightful writer. Uh, she's been doing a lot of media on not just her book, The Ask Backers Way to Move Forward. She's been writing for Schoon TV. She's written about some very heavy hitting topics. One of them is abortion in the black community. And we, uh, we're consulting on it on an article that hopefully will be out within the next month. There's been an increasingly large number of murders of black women over the last two years in the United States and Philadelphia seems to be ground zero. 659 women and 659 women in Philadelphia have been shot and or killed the last two years since 2020. Uh, we are talking 100 deaths among those 659 women. That is disturbing. Philadelphia's ground zero. Memphis has record had a record number of domestic violence deaths of women in 2022. Cuyahoga County's numbers are up. Cook County, Chicago, their numbers are up. Atlanta, their numbers are up. So <clears throat> something's going on here. So we're going to dig into that with my good friend, the author of, again, The Ask Backwards Way to Move Forward, Celeste Duffy. How are you? Good morning, Khalid. How are you? I am well. I am well. Um, not on this topic, but we, we, we got to talk about it. You and I have talked about this. You know, we've, we've talked about this a lot. I wanted to have you on to not only talk about this topic, but we're going to get into this very popular article you wrote uh, a month or so ago on how, quote, abortion is stifling the black community. We're going to talk about that as well. Um, f- well, first, let's get into the article you wrote last month on the uh, numbers of abortions of black children since 1973. Well, Khalid, um, for Black History Month, of course, we were, you know, I was sort of thinking about how to commemorate uh, black history as, uh, as well as everyone else. And I was sort of shocked to find um, 
once digging into the abortion issue, the real impact of abortion on the black community. And I don't think there's been a lot of attention paid to that impact. But at the moment, um, we are at 44 million and counting, because I wrote this in February. So 44 million and counting um, black babies aborted since 1973. And I juxtapose that uh, 44 million with the 3,446 lynchings that happened um, of black lynchings of black people in, in eight decades. So it took uh, apparently uh, the racist Klan um, 80 years to uh, murder by lynching 3,446 um, black Americans, but it has only taken uh, the uh, liberal infrastructure of this country, which uh, by and large funds and is the emotional fuel for abortion, um, 44 million in, in 50 years to... Um, to the murder of 44 million and counting black babies that would have been born and subsequently are not. And when we think about the impact, the impact of that is devastating, not just in, in the religious sense, not just in the right to life sense, but even in a pragmatic sense in terms of the economic uh, base in the, in the black community. For all the talk about the wealth gap, Maybe the wealth gap would be uh, improved if you, in fact, believe there is a wealth gap. It would be improved if we had more people since people are resource, resources. They are, in fact, human capital. Not only that, political power. At one time, black people were the largest minority in the country and, and thus held a distinct and, and specific political power that was attached to that. That 44 million, which has kept our population stagnant at below 14% for 50 years, um, has enormous impact on the black community. And I think that black people need to start paying attention uh, to abortion, first individually, um, as a religious matter, as a personal matter, as a family matter, but even beyond that, um, as a matter of what that does and what impact that has on the black community. Those num- numbers are atrocious. Yeah, and that's what jumped out at me in your article, Abortion is Stifling the Black Community, which I would suggest all of you listening read. There was a line in there that said since 1973, black women have had millions of abortions, which is one of the reasons the black population hasn't grown beyond 14%, which you just alluded to. Even though the black population was 12.8% in 2005, it's only projected to grow to just over 13% by 2050. In the words of Pastor Clarnard Howard Childress Jr., quote, the most dangerous place for an African-American is in the womb. Ooh, that's devastating. When you talk about those numbers that you just laid out, Celeste Duffy, and you juxtapose that to the the, the murder rates in this country, which we're going to talk about when it comes to black women, it, it, it's doubly devastating because then you're talking about the, the wholesale murder of black men that has been rampant pretty much the last 30 plus years. I think the crack era is estimated that 25,000 black men were lost, killed, murdered during the crack era, not to mention 
the incarceration rates. So you can take all of those off, many of many of them, many of them off the table uh, of the living incarcerated in terms of reproduction. But of course, those that have passed on who did not have children or who were under childbearing age, those numbers are frightening. Well, yes, and like abortion, um, if you think about it, the uh, murder of the black born, abortion, of course, is the murder of the black unborn, but the murder of the black born, those who are alive and living now, all of this is self-inflicted by black, well, I shouldn't say all of it, the majority of it is self-inflicted by other black people. And what that says to me is that there is a real pathology, a real anti-God, anti-human pathological culture um, that, that black people are participating in, which allows the unborn and the born, the black unborn and born, to be murdered so casually and with such little regard, it is hard to believe that there is a real respect for life uh, in many areas of the black community. And this, these, this, the, the murders of, of, of women, which has spiked tremendously over the past few years, which I laid out earlier, one city, if one city can have that many deaths of, of black women, a hundred and six hundred and fifty nine women and girls shot in one city, Memphis had 47 the, uh, domestic violence deaths of women in 2022. Uh, Mm-hmm. You know, those numbers are up. Atlanta, as I mentioned, uh, Houston, Chicago, Cleveland, or Cuyahoga County, Cook County. The numbers are staggering. And I think that what's happening is the, the, the attention is being paid to anything that's involving white people or the police. Those are the women who seem to be martyred. You, you keep hearing Sandra Bland. You keep hearing um, Breonna Taylor. Sandra Bland, Breonna Taylor, those names are up. There's a few sites that are tracking this, and I think there's one site you did in, in, that you are looking at in your research for your article, which I hope to really uh, see you finish very soon, uh, Black Femicide. I think that is a very outstanding site that is tracking this trend, but it's not being covered. Why do you think it's not being covered by a lot of mainstream uh, outlets? I know the well, reason, before, but I, I know what you're going to say, but <laughs> I want to hear what you have to say, Celeste Duffy. Well, even before not being covered, what we're finding in the research is that most of these uh, cases uh, remain open. They're not closed. Uh, someone is not brought to justice, and there is very little information about who committed the murder and, you know, what were the circumstances surrounding the event. So not only are they not uh, being covered, we we can get to that in a second, but beyond not being covered, part of the reason is there's very little information about these women and and these cases because the cases remain open. And the black femicide account is, is a desperate attempt on the part of women to try and even track them just to track the cases so they can um, kind of uh, reach some awareness, but also so that family members can share any little tidbits of information. And we're actually finding also in the research that many um, family members of these murdered black women are themselves 
trying to do the detective work and the case work. They're putting up flyers. They're walking through the neighborhood, which is, is very dangerous at times, and trying to um, get information about who, who murdered their loved one. So we've got now the citizenry operating um, almost as part of a police or investigative activity um, where very little information is coming to, to the fore. That We're not seeing a lot of prosecutions. We are not seeing people brought to justice. And these women are going unmurdered. Uh, I mean, they're going murdered with their murderers unnamed and, and no justice being sought. So on the one hand, I think that the media um, is, is loath to cover the issue anyway, because I don't think that black women being killed specifically by black men is something that they can handle in terms of their narrative. I don't think they know how to tell that story well. And it certainly isn't told. They they certainly can't tell that story in a way um, that fits the narrative that they want to betray, which is that black people are in danger from um, white nationalists and um, <laughs> white racists. And the the real facts belie that. And and the real facts suggest that black people and uh, black women specifically are not only being murdered not by white nationalists and white supremacists, but in fact, by their loved ones, people that they know. Most of these homicides are very intimate. They're people that they know. Yes, people that they know. So there's there's that domestic violence. Then there's these women who are caught in the crossfire where there's a shootout, say, at a gas station, and that happens to have killed many children. You go to a gas station, you have your child in the car, and uh, two knuckleheads, get to shooting at one another and that the child is hit or the mother is hit that has happened then you have your random robberies there was a nurse in detroit who was uh coming off work uh late one night and she was a victim of an attempted carjacking uh and she was murdered by some some low life you have those issues you have uh the the like i said the uh the street violence and, and just recently, there's been uh, in Chicago, I think the other day, there was some woman found in in, a, in, in an alley. It, just things of this nature. And it, the attention that we spend or the, the subjects that we, we, we pay most attention to, I find to be most uh, disturbing to me because we take mountains and make them out of molehills and we take molehills and make them out of mountains. This is a mountain that deserves to be mm-hmm. covered and talked about. As you said, it doesn't fit the media narrative because if they talk about the murders of black women, they have to tell you who's doing it. And they won't do that mm-hmm. because the police are not involved. If you look at all of the women who they who they have martyred in the media, the police were somehow involved and more specifically a white policeman. But these issues here where you have just in one city, Philadelphia, let's talk about children, for, for example. Philadelphia has had 400 children shot over 400 over the last two years in the city children but that's not an issue benjamin crump stood up at the naacp awards and talked about we're fighting for our children and blah 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 no you're not you're no you're not because if you were fighting for your children you would know what's going on in these cities where children and women are being murdered wholesale and 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 here's the paradox 
The, the paradox with that is if you are fighting for your children, then who are you fighting? You also have to be fighting your children because it is the children that are, are having, like you said, the knuckleheads that are having these uh, shootouts uh, in the middle of the street in public space um, with complete disregard to innocent bystanders and, and the citizenry. This is an absolute sickness. It is a pathology. And, and again, I think that black people are, are loath and the media in concert together are loath to really explore this issue, even at our own peril, are, are loath to explore this issue because, again, not only is it our children dying, but it's our children doing the killing. And that's the part I think we are fearful to expose. Absolutely. Celeste Duffy is my guest. You have to check out her book, The Ass Backwards Way to Move Forward, a tongue-in-cheek guide to poverty and misery. Very, very funny read. Now, let's talk about your book for a second, because a lot of these pathologies are playing into uh, these issues that the people on the left love to talk about, you know, poverty, inequality, so forth and so on. I want you to uh, define poverty for people in, in, in your book, how you define poverty, Celeste Duffy. So poverty in the book, um, the book is about poor people, and I, I define poor people as those uh, persons who have a spiritual deprivation or lack. The spiritual deprivation or lack leads them to have bad behavior and make poor choices. And those bad behaviors and make poor cho- and poor choices are the uh, erode wealth. So what I'm not saying is that poor people has anything to do or being poor has anything to do with money. It is not a financial distinction. It is a behavioral distinction and it is a distinction of your choices. And what leads people to make bad choices consistently, everyone has a one-off, all of us are human, we all fall short of the glory, no one makes good choices all the time. However, to be poor means that you have to consistently behave badly and make poor choices. And what the infrastructure that allows you to do that is that you have a spiritual deprivation and lack. You don't know who you are and you don't know who you are. And because of that, you believe that you are your own person. You are your own God. You have complete autonomy and you can make whatever choices you want to make, and you don't want to have to suffer the consequences of those choices, which is usually the erosion of wealth. We can see that in a, in a very pragmatic sense, but usually it is also the dissolution of a high-quality life. It is very, very hard to live a high-quality life when you are consistently behaving badly and making poor choices. Celeste Duffy is our guest. And so this ties into things that I've always said about those are there are people out there who don't have the ability to help solve these problems because their approach is particularly material. Uh, Think about that, Celeste, because we're going to come back on the other side. I want to talk more solutions to some of these problems and the failures at addressing these problems. Uh, I am Khalid Namara. I am sitting in for Bob France. Always right radio on with Celeste Duffy. We'll be back on the other side. Stick around. Always right on the answer. 
We're back live on Always Right Radio. I am Khalid Namar in today for Bob France. One triple eight two eight one eleven ten two one six nine zero one zero nine four five. I am on with my good friend Celeste Duffy, author of the Ask Backwards Way to Move Forward. Also, she's a author of some fantastic articles on Schoon TV. Celeste, uh, why don't you give our listeners uh, a way that they can read your writings? and uh, follow you on social media. Okay, thank you, Khalid. Uh, you can follow me on social media at Celeste underscore Duffy on Twitter. And you can find my writings. I'm writing about a lot of contemporary issues, things that you see on the news and on the Internet, a lot of pop culture stuff as well, um, at com. That's C-S-C-O-O-N-T-V.com. And also Duffy, that's Duffy with an I-E, D-U-F-F-I-E. Yes. Not, 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 that's correct. Not like Patrick Duffy for some of our older folks. <laughs> <laughs> so, some of our old Dallas fans from back in the day. <laughs> that's okay. I wanted to know who shot J.R. <laughs> well, listen, uh, we're talking about the, uh, the murders of black women and which is, uh, according to the Centers and Disease Control, the numbers have gone up nationwide, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> like 34% over the last few years. And it is, again, a lot of disturbing things. Um, when it comes to the, one of my cousins, he just sent me a text and he was saying that people are depressed. They don't feel like they have a future. Uh, and I, and I'm, you know, I wrote back. I said, there's some glaring issues for that. And I'll steal this from Dennis Prager, uh, who is on this network. And I've met many, many times. He says that there's no wonder why so many people are depressed, particularly younger people, because they're told that their past sucks and their future sucks. So why would you not be depressed? And if you're talking about the rhetoric that's coming from with our own internal voices and our own internal messaging about how you're basically living in 1930 you're living in 1920 you might as well be in mississippi where my dad was born in the 40s because if you if you're constantly bombarded with these messages then how could you not be depressed or how could you not be feeling as if there's nothing for you to live for and feeling hopeless so so talk about that celeste well see that's part of the reason i call this condition pathological it's not that you're depressed. There are things in life that it may be normal to be depressed about. There are things that are not good. There are things that are sad, and it is okay to feel sad. What you're describing are, are people who are living in a time warp, who are in, uh, amplifying and internalizing the feelings that are n- not consistent with their actual lived reality or condition. So if I'm believing that I am subject to the type of racism or the type of barriers and conditions that may have been present in 1930 or in 1940 here in 2023, I'm delusional and I am not ill. That is not, and we have got to stop celebrating that type of behavior and and people who articulate their so-called struggle and celebrating them for doing that and realize this is a cry for help. These people are not in touch with their lived reality. And sadly, many of them are the most successful among us. 
some of our most successful celebrities, our most successful uh, academicians, people who are living great lives and enjoying the full fullness of America and all that it has to offer and who are the envy of almost everyone else who has feet that walk the earth, wish they could live like many black people live in America, to be with our head hung low and always sad and never, ever in a celebratory and in a grateful um, posture is is illness. And I think that illness and, and that type of depression trickles down also into our behavior. Our behavior is the evidence of that. The evidence of how we're feeling about ourselves is, is manifest in how we're behaving, particularly in public when the world can see us. And it's not good. It's not good. And, and I'll give you a glaring example of this. And I, I I was five seconds from calling the Florida NAACP office because this fool, I won't mention his name. He, he's a fool. Uh, he's warning black people not to go to uh, Florida. Now, this is obviously a shot at DeSantis. He's telling black people don't come to Florida as if, you know, it's not safe, which uh, I'll, I'll give you something that is, is so ironic. Miami, as an example, has the lowest murder rate they've had since the 1960s biggest one of the safest big cities in the country right now is miami which is shocking for those of us who know the history of miami stunning that a city that had a a media that would not cover murders unless there was at least two bodies back in the 80s has the lowest murder rate they've had since the 1960s and the violence that's taking place down there right now as we speak on miami beach is unfortunately committed by a lot of black people right now right now miami beach is under an under a state of emergency they've uncovered 17 guns they had a murder right on the street during the spring break so this this fool is telling people oh don't come to um, florida because it's not safe for you as as you know meaning that someone is going to harm you if you come here it was a shot at DeSantis, and this is the kind of nonsense these people put out I did see that, and what I found most interesting uh, was two things. The first was that he did not say he was moving. <laughs> and my first thought was, if Florida is that dangerous, you should be getting out. You should be calling your friends in the Underground Railroad and, and planning your escape at nighttime when no one can see you. And you can run through the woods to a safe house, and they give you the map and show you the way. So although you don't want anyone else to come to Florida, we don't see you leaving. And he was not able um, to articulate the reasons why he felt that uh, the travel ban for black Americans was necessary. So we're not supposed to go for reasons we don't understand. And he also is not leaving. That suggests to me that this is, is going to be a failed attempt to get <laughs> black people to stay out of Florida. I don't have much hope that the travel ban is going to go far since no one understands why we, we would be under this ban and the um, author um, of of this ban has not been able to articulate why we should not go to go to Florida, but but more than that, so 
Yes, it, it, I, I certainly believe it's a shot at DeSantis. It's not a good shot at DeSantis because he hasn't explained why um, Florida is bad for black people or the, the current state of governance in Florida is bad for, for black people. So I, I don't think if, if that was the hope was to, to put a shot at DeSantis, I don't think he even hit the board on that. He certainly did not hit a bullseye. <laughs> oh, well, Celeste, I'll tell you that I posted something on Facebook about, I don't know, seven or eight months ago. And I said, every morning, President Biden wakes up with a very pressing question on his mind. How do I scare the hell out of black people today? Because if you listen to what he has said over the years, he always comes up with some scare tactic, which is what people do to drive us politically. They have to scare us. Charlie Rangel went to Georgia years ago campaigning against George Bush. And what did he do? He, he invoked the name of Bull Connor. This, this, uh, this is what people do when they don't have respect for you. They just attempt to scare you. Not policy, not ideas, not opportunities. It's scaring you. And this is what drives me a little nuts. Uh, it drives me actually, you know, to the point where I've responded to many of these people on Twitter. I find their Twitter accounts, their, their emails, because this type of tactic is dangerous when you constantly are trying to invoke fear for your own political purposes. Well, I agree with you. And I'm I am not I'm less angered by the fact that people have a fear as a ta- as a political tactic and a weapon as I am by people who believe and accept the fear. Yes. You can come to, to, to where I am and you can tell me I'm in danger and I have to look at that information that you're presenting against my lived reality. I have to say, wait a second, when I wake up in the morning, am I in fear? When, when I'm uh, going about my daily activities, am I in fear? Do I believe something will happen to me? And if so, from who? The people that they keep pointing at to tell me I should be afraid of, which would be, uh, I guess, the white nationalists and the conservatives and and Ron DeSantis. And and none of those people am I aware of are shooting anybody sitting at a stoplight. Well, I do. uh, (laughs) I was talking to my good friend, Amicina, last night about the Jesse Smollett uh, hoax. Jesse Smollett, they have a documentary out now, I think on Fox Nation, which they interviewed the two uh, Trump hat wearing Nigerians who, uh, <clears throat> white nationalists who attacked him. And I just thought, like, <laughs> he couldn't even find two real white people to attack him. He had to hire two black dudes. It's like <laughs> that can let you know there's some, some type of shortage of racist white people running around uh, where he had to, like, hire the other, okay, I'll take these two big black dudes. Uh, at f- at two in the morning when it's like minus 20 and he had to hire two black dudes and say, hey, go buy some red hats and uh <laughs> and attack me coming from subway. N- not to mention these two white guys or alleged alleged racist white guys who were also homophobic happened to watch Empire. Yeah, that was um, I, I, I was among those um, initially who did not 
uh, believe that the attack was real. <laughs> and the tip off for me was that uh, his Subway sandwich wrapper was intact. <laughs> and my thought was, if you were violently attacked by two men who didn't mind uh, abusing you and, and battering your face, but they were kind enough to keep your whole foot long, completely <laughs> wrapped, sealed, and attacked. That was the kindest mugging and uh, an assault I'd ever been aware of. So I found that odd that they would have given him the opportunity to say, may I please place my sandwich here? Okay, now let's fight. Or what did he say? I believe the quote is, they tussled. <laughs> but I, I find, listen, there are some nights in Chicago, and I grew up in, a little bit in Chicago in Cleveland. There are some nights that are so cold. I don't care how bad you are. You don't want to be outside. <laughs> if you're a mugger, if you're a drug dealer, <laughs> let alone some racist white person, uh, you don't want to be outside with a, with a MAGA hat on uh, in the middle when it's like minus <laughs> minus 20 degrees. I thought that was just funny, but that just shows to show you. On the off chance, <laughs> you're out on the off chance that you might accidentally run into a black celebrity. You're just out there with the hope. With the hope that you could run into a black celebrity to assault. <laughs> I was absolutely foolish. And again, this goes back to speak to the pathology uh, that we've been talking about earlier. There are people, and this is it's very unfortunate, and we laugh about it, and it is funny. Mm -hmm. But it's also very sad. This is a man who had a thriving career, who, who has talent. Beyond not only just his acting, he's he's a singer, I believe, and songwriter. He had some popular songs out during during the series. This is someone with talent, comes from a family of talented people who were well well respected at least until he began his shenanigans. They could hold their head up, mm -hmm. and now um, he's destroyed that for himself. I don't know for how long. Hopefully, you know, Americans tend to have a very redemptive spirit about us, and maybe he will be one that would receive that level of redemption. But the absolute trickery and to send the country uh, spiraling into, into this racially charged environment um, is absolutely despicable and, and really I don't know, uh, to be redeemed, my understanding is that first you have to be sorry and there needs to be an act of contrition. And I think he's holding up his own redemption by, by refusing to be sorry and, and to show contrition for what he did. Yeah, but, but this is what you talked about <clears throat> earlier. We talked about perceived reality because this is something that he thought in his mind would be believable by people. But those of us who live in reality know that, okay, this is complete nonsense. Uh, but this is the type of thing that people I'm reading every day from people and it's affecting their consciousness. And I think that people's con people are very impressionable. A lot of adults, we know children are impressionable. A lot of adults are impressionable. Also, they hear these things and they internalize these, these beliefs and, and these scenarios that they believe that people are running around trying to kill them. But I'll tell you that it's, it's never the people who you think it is. And I think back to our topic when we were talking about what's going on with in terms of the women and these domestic situations that are happening. There is a real you know, problem between uh, at this point in time where black men at these rates are murdering. They're women, their their children's mothers, their wives or 
girlfriends or even acquaintances. And this type of of hatred and violence that is happening randomly, I think in not just randomly, but deliberately, because in Atlanta, there was a man who was just acquitted of double murder uh, a month ago. And then within a couple of days of being acquitted, he murdered the mother of his children within a couple of days of being acquitted of double murder. And why? Because he wanted to be with another woman. It's 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 bizarre what's going on, but it's not being addressed as it should be. Uh, we're going to take another break. And uh, you want to finish out the hour with me, Celeste? You got time? I certainly do. All right. We're with Celeste Duffy. Uh, go check her out on Twitter. Celeste Duffy Schoon TV. You can read her writings. She'll be back with me for the final segment. I am Colleen Lamar. And for Bob France, stick around. Live on Always Right Radio. I am Khalid Namar in for Bob France. You know, I was hearing this song in my head. Thank you, Josh Brew, for that. When I was sitting in a committee hearing a couple of weeks back and I'm listening to uh, some of these people in these committee hearings, I was playing that song in my head. Clowns to the left, <laughs> jokers to the right. Uh, <laughs> I was actually playing that song in my head. I, I wish I could have had my Bluetooth on because I would have played it in that committee hearing. That's how you get when you're listening to these politicians <laughs> down in the state house. Anyway, I'm one with Celeste Duffy. We have about a couple minutes left. Celeste, so what are you working on right now? Because you, you and I, you know, we have some things planned, you know, uh, I'll say that. What are you working on right now? And uh, what are you currently, what is your next article coming out? Um, my next article uh, will be out in early April. I am looking at the move of uh, what we are now calling refugees. Refugees are people that are leaving uh, blue states uh, that are usually in cities that are, are governed uh, by um, people on the left, and they're moving to what um, traditionally has been known as the Confederate states. Mm-hmm. Uh, which we now call red state. So I'm looking at that movement. Um, we're almost seeing something similar to what we saw in the 1900s, what we called the mass migration of people moving from the south into northern cities. We're seeing a lot of reversal now. And I wanted to explore that and sort of understand where they're going and why they're going to these red states. What What is on the minds of the refugees? Excellent. And that'll be on Schoon TV? Yes. Schoon TV, absolutely. Follow her on Twitter as well. I always have a great time. Is is our friend Lizzie, is she listening, Elizabeth? She may be. I'm not sure. Okay. 
Well, I hope she is. Hey, Liz, if you're listening. Uh, <laughs> Shout out. <laughs> Shout out to Liz. And so, yeah, uh, I definitely am going to be pushing your articles out because I think they're very important. And I'm going to be giving you some ideas because you, you write five times better than I do. I, I haven't written in a few years, but I think you can articulate my ideas better than I can. So hope to be working with you on some things. But this issue, I want to get out here because I think that we are <clears throat> caught up in minutia when it comes to what's really important, uh, what our media chooses to cover. And I think that I have three sisters. I'm the youngest of five. Uh, you know, I have people in my family who happen to be, you know, lots of women, lots of nieces who are young. Many of them, I hope to have healthy relationships and healthy marriages. And so I think these are things that I need to talk about because, you know, we need to talk about what is going to help us thrive and move forward. And, and as you know, as because, as, you know, you and I are going to be older soon. And, you know, our younger people need to to know what the opportunity is that lies before them. And also how to look out, love, and protect one another. And I think that's what we need to talk about. But Celeste Duffy, thank you so much for joining me. And um, we will definitely talk again on these airwaves. Uh, love you, and I will talk to you soon. Thank you so much for having me. This has been an absolute joy. All right. Take care. Bye. All right. That was fun. Celeste Duffy and... Uh, Check out her book, The Ass Backwards Way to Move Forward. It's a very funny book, actually, and insightful. I'm going to be back on the other side. I'm going to have Kane Schmidt on. And Kane Schmidt has an interesting podcast that he has. And it's not because I'm on it sometimes. I'm not saying that. It is, even though that interview may be self-serving. Anyway, uh, enjoy some Biggie Smalls. And <laughs> thanks, Josh Boo. And we will be back on Always Right Radio. I'm Khalid Namar. Please hang around. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. We are back on Always Right Radio for the final hour. Having a good time today. Thanks, Josh Booth, for the 80s sounds. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a unabashedly 
unashamed 80s kid. Sorry. Um, <laughs> love it. Love it. Love it. Always Right Radio, Khalid Damar, sitting in for Bob France. 888-281-1110. 216-901-0945 if you want to get in. So every now and then, I am invited to appear on different podcasts, which I take it as an honor that people want to have me on. Um, unlike Groucho Marx, who would always say, I wouldn't enjoy a club that wouldn't have me as a member. Um, <laughs> I kind of enjoy doing podcasts with, with, with some friends and some like-minded people. And I've had some, some debates also. So one of the more interesting podcasts I've been on lately is the Modern Method podcast with a young man who's very sharp, local, homegrown kid, young man. I'm, I'm, I'm showing my age here. Kane Schmidt is with me. How are you, Kane? Doing well. How are you this morning, Khalid? I'm excellent. I'm excellent. Thanks for uh, for coming on and uh, f- forgive me for saying kid, you know, but, you know, I'm, I'm at that age. <laughs> hey, no, I get it a lot. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but you are quite young and uh, doing quite well. You have a very intelligent podcast, and I, I wouldn't have joined it if I didn't think so. Our mutual friend, Rania Seeley. A, a, a former professor of yours, by the way, I guess, and she, yeah, she invited me on with you, and I've had quite uh, the time of having some great talks with you over the last, you know, six months or so. So tell us about the Modern Method podcast. Yeah, sure. So the Modern Method podcast really just um, sort of takes current events and um, tries to tie them to historical events and uh, just sort of analyzes the political landscape and um, just sort of like, I guess, pop culture and, and things like that, too. So what we try to do is we try to um, just take things that are happening in the world and try to break them down, make them make sense, and then give more of a voice to people that don't necessarily get one, and that being sort of everyday average people. We don't believe that you necessarily need to have incredible academic credentials to be able to speak on a subject that uh, most major news networks think that they have to do. So um, that's what we try to do on my show. Yeah, and, and I like the economic approach because we talk a lot about economics, global affairs, and, and, and we tie them to, like you said, you know, some historical events and see if we see the patterns and things of that nature. So right now we have yet another banking crisis, which you kind of see this coming if you if you know the signs. If, if you know history, you see when these things are coming. Just like the recession of 2008, you see the regulatory climate changing. You see some very bad decisions being made by our Fed. You could almost predict this, no? Yeah, well, I think that you could have seen you could have seen a lot of it coming, and this is not the first time, even in my lifetime, that it's happened. And that we had just mentioned that it hasn't been very long. So, if you know what to look for, and you could have predicted this maybe even back in 2018. So, a lot of what happened with SVB had to do with the Dodd Frank Act, which was created under Obama after the uh, global financial crisis in 2008 during the subprime loan scandal that sought to regulate banks from excessive risk taking. And it was made to protect consumers. So you could have taken, and this is what people like to sort of blame this uh, current SVB bank collapse on, too, because in 2018, when uh, when Trump was president, this was really, I guess, uh, kind of his second full year, he decided to roll back a lot of the regulations for companies or banks with less than $250 billion in assets. And there's there's a few that are over that, believe it or not. And if you're not familiar with 
banking practices and how much a bank might have in assets. Like Bank of America has, uh, I think, a few trillion at this point. But SUV was one of those that was under $250 billion, And by the time that they collapsed, they had $212 billion in assets. So what that did was that was meant to, and you could hear uh, former President Trump say this, open uh, the economic power of America. So SUV was then flooded with with deposits. And SUV was founded, by the way, um, I think something like 40 years ago, that was meant to finance tech startups. This is in Silicon Valley. So they were flooded with all of these deposits and had all this extra cash that they were looking to do something with. And one of the things that they decided to do was buy a bunch of U.S. Treasury notes and mortgage securities. And they bought tens of billions of dollars of these. And 2021 ended up being SUV's most profitable year ever. But what happened, as everyone knows from COVID, um, is that interest, or I'm sorry, that inflation grew out of control and the government raised interest rates. Well, when interest rates are raised, that is bad for U.S. Treasury notes and mortgage securities that are the primary uh, things that SVB invested in. And by the time of their collapse, they lost almost $20 billion in value of that. And not to mention, with growing inflation, deposits fell by $30 billion to their bank. And at this point, everyone in one day tried to take out $42 billion all at once because they saw that these mortgage securities and U.S. Treasury notes were worth less and SVB was selling them at a loss of $2 billion for the majority, for the pieces that they had sold, which was not everything that they had. So investors went crazy, tried to pull out, and everyone tried to pull their money out all at once. And the bank doesn't just have 100% of that all the time, or or at least SVB doesn't. So I'm not going to pretend to be an economic expert or a banking expert necessarily, uh, and I'm I'm not. (laughs) I don't say necessarily as in maybe. But, um, But this is what happened. And a bank could give a lot of people their money back if they came out and tried to say, oh, give me all my money. And there's only like pretty much one reason that you would ever do that in the first place. And that would be to go over to put your money somewhere else. I mean, why would you ever take all your funds out at once? That doesn't make any sense. So what I think is kind of funny about this, and Khalid, tell me what you think, um, is that a lot of this panic that happened around it was kind of self-induced because it's, if you think about it, if they if they left their money in there and no one took their money out, a lot of those securities that lost value would have seen a gain over time. You, you, you well, you, you're correct. Uh, Kashman is my guest of the Modern Method podcast, so it's like I have a, a bit of a background in, in the securities industry. I worked for a couple of brokerage firms, one of them which was closed down by the feds. That's another. That's a story I'll tell you at some point. So. It's like when people sell their stocks, you don't lose until you basically sell. So if you have a stock that you bought for 50 and it goes to like 40, you haven't technically lost anything. You've lost some value, but you haven't lost any money until you actually sell it. So what happens is people panic and I talk to brokers all the time and I always ask them, are you getting a lot of phone calls doing depending on what's going on? If, if the market is, is topsy turvy and things are going on, I say, are you getting a lot of phone calls from panic investors? They're like, yeah, people are calling. But if you listen to the people like the Warren Buffett of the world, he's never sold anything. He's just kind of rode out the wave. He's long term guy, you know, 10, 20 years. So if you're in stocks, as an example, 
you're just in it for the long haul. You don't pay attention to the daily or monthly or yearly fluctuations. You just kind of go for the long-term value, long-term play. So those are the most successful investors, people who panic and think they have to go and sell or in the case of banking, just pull all your money out. That's that's causes these bank runs. Argentina has had several of them. They seem to have one every 10 years uh, in Argentina or, or so. So it's and, and this happened in Cyprus, I think, just recently. So people are afraid and they're afraid because of all these bad decisions that have been made during the pandemic where our governments shut down businesses and then they just put so much money out there. And then these banks are turning around and investing their money in, in all this nonsense. I think SVB was heavily invested in green energy companies. Uh, so th- this is the kind of thing that's going on. But again, it, this story is already off the headlines. I think people are already onto something else. Um, another thing that uh, I wanted to ask you about Kane uh, Schmidt was the, Harassment of President Trump uh, by these prosecutors. So we know that there's, I think, three grand juries right now. I think there's obviously the Bragg case, which is losing steam. There's the the case in Atlanta, I believe, by that local prosecutor. Talk about that. Well, I'd like to first, I guess, um, sort of, if we could take that back and have you describe to me what you mean by harassment. So mm-hmm. I know that obviously he gets harassed a lot. But are you talking about anything specific? Yes. I'm talking about this weak case involving Stormy Daniels, which even people on all sides, including the Federal Election Commission, including very liberal attorneys, are saying that this is weak. This is something that everybody has passed on. Yet and still, this prosecutor has decided to pursue the case. And I don't think he's going to pursue it now because he's looking like the fool that he is. Then you have a case going on in Georgia where that local prosecutor is trying to uh, go after the uh, Trump on the election situation uh, in Georgia as if there was some sort of conspiracy to, quote, overthrow the election or in, in Georgia. Um, those, that is what happens when you have rogue prosecutors. This is what has been warned uh, or cautioned by uh, some. I read some papers years ago written by uh, uh, a very uh, erudite lawyer on these prosecutors who have so much authority to investigate the president of the United States, or even in this case, a former president, which can lead to what we call political mischief. It is harassment because it is all driven by politics, because if it was driven by anything really legal, you will be going after. I, I can name three or four people who they would go after if this was not poli- if this wasn't political. So it is harassment because it's definitely all political. No, you're right. And if you look at if you look at the cases that you even just mentioned too, and then you look at uh, what ha- what's happening with the Stormy Daniels trial, um, you know that is one of the things that isn't like the other one, and that one is not necessarily political at all. That one is just um, that one would be like a misdemeanor at best, from what I've heard. So that one is just malpractice from somebody um, just as a person. And if you paid someone hush money to try to cover up a scandal or something, that's almost less political and almost more personal at that point. And like you were just saying before, too, we've we've heard from people from both sides that this doesn't really hold any weight. And what a lot of it, I think, has to do with is just, them just trying to stick Trump with something, because as long as you can stick him with a crime and convict him of something, then he loses um, prowess as a political candidate or individual. Or if you're able to make that a felony, then I think that that would even sort of make him not able to run again. But 
Um, as far as the harassment, I mean, he's under a lot of, uh, a lot of harassment for, I mean, for a multitude of reasons also. So he's not exactly an innocent person either. I mean, I am a conservative individual, but I wouldn't say that I am an always Trumper either. I think that he could be pretty prone to sort of the next, uh, as I've heard people say before, the next, um, selfish impulse that he has. And, and Stormy Daniels is just one of those things. And if you believe that, then what else is this guy up to? And I'm, mm-hmm. and I know that that's not uncommon for a billionaire to get involved in things like that, but that doesn't make it good. Well, I think there's a difference between being good and being guilty of a crime. Again, if you are talking about legality, uh, there's a ton of people who actually have committed crimes. I'll give an example with this case which, again, the Federal Election Commission has already passed on this because they said this is not a crime. It is not a campaign finance violation. Federal Election Commission, right? So then you have Hillary Clinton, who was fined by the same Federal Election Commission for masking fees. And I read about this, what, three years ago, four years ago, that they filed a complaint, Federal Election Commission did, on the fees that were masked through her law firm, Perkins Coie, as uh Instead of opposition research, which it was because they pay for the dossier through the law firm, they just masked them as legal fees. They didn't actually disclose what they were paying for, which was dirty opposition research, which we know turned out to be untrue. She was fine for that. At least her campaign was fine for that. So my point is it being, quote unquote, a clean or innocent person in terms of your character does not mean you're a criminal and you should be harassed by law enforcement because you actually have oh, some, no, some skeletons. So so this is what I'm saying. Harassment is you're taking things that are not a crime and you're making them a crime for political purposes. Because if you wanted to go after people, we know Hillary is dirty as anybody. And it's proven that she's been helped by the feds. She's been helped by uh, the media. Uh, there are crimes that they won't investigate, particularly when it comes to going after Trump associates. John Eastman, his lawyer, had his phone taken by the feds. You've had people's homes raided. In other words, if you watched a basketball game and all the calls were going one way, you would think something is wrong. You would. You would say, wait a minute, why are I saw five bad calls in this game, but they all go towards one team. That would tell you something is wrong. If the calls were going both ways, you would just say, hey, these refs are incompetent. They just can't make good calls. But all these calls are going one way. And this is what I mean when I say the harassment, because it's all intended, which is why that language of insurrection is used intentionally to keep him from running again, because it is a very intentional term. Stick around, Kane, if you can, because we got some the phone lines are lit up uh, and I think they all want to talk to you. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) This is Kane Schmidt uh, of the Modern Method podcast. Phone lines are lit up. We'll take some calls afterwards. And I am Colleen Amar in for Bob France on the Always Right Radio. Stick around. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. We're back live on Always Right Radio. I am Khalid Namar. And for our uh, final segment, final 12 minutes or so, I am on with Kane Schmidt of the Modern Method Podcast, which I 
appear on sometimes and have a good time with Kane. We talk about a variety of issues. So, Kane, uh, real quick, we were we were talking about the uh, targeting and 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 in some people's opinion, and including mine, uh, and harassment of President Trump when it comes to these prosecutors and attorneys general who are essentially trying to ruin any chance of him running again by going after associates, uh, his companies, when, in fact, much of what they end up prosecuting are some of the most minor things, particularly when it comes to this case with, with Stormy Daniels, which many people have already determined has, was not a crime, which is why the Federal Election Commission passed on it, which is why this case with Alvin Bragg is not going anywhere. So what are, what are your thoughts again on this? Yeah, so, I mean, the way that you had described it before was that it's harassment if you're not guilty of a crime. There's a difference between someone's character versus what they're actually guilty of doing. And I guess what I was just trying to say earlier was, um, I mean, I that, that could have been a crime to some degree. You're saying that it isn't, was found by people to not be one, but then I've heard other, um, this is just conflicting information. And I'm not going to say that I'm the most up-to-date on the Stormy Daniels case because it's also, I mean, it's a, it's a payoff hush money case that doesn't necessarily interest me too much. But, I mean, to some degree, that could be taken uh, as a crime to whatever. So um, I think that he's absolutely guilty of other things, too. And then these probes that they put into him, I mean, I understand that it's harassment until you prove something. But that doesn't mean that it's unfounded either. But at the same time, I do hear what you're saying, that as long as you stick him with something, then you're ruining his chances of running. And the whole point yeah. is they just don't want Trump because he's, almost unbeatable well well listen i think it, it is unfounded only because if you look at all the millions and millions of dollars they've spent over the last four years look at what they found and what this russia nonsense none of those people who they slapped on the wrist for things had anything to do with russia manafort was convicted on things that essentially amounted to either tax issues or lobbying this Farah failure to register as a foreign agent is they've only prosecuted six people since 1966. They dusted it off in hopes of you could lock up half of Washington on FARA violations. They're looking for something. They're looking to find something. And the federal government, when they decide they want to get you, they'll cast a wide net and they will find something. Even the right. judge in the man in the Manafort case told the prosecution, you are not interested in Paul Manafort's financial crimes. You're hoping that he will sing or perhaps even compose. So my point is, if and let's talk about crimes. We have real crimes happening right now with this administration. You have bank records that shows payoffs from China and, and Ukraine. You have suspicious activity reports that have been filed by banks on the Biden family. And people are chasing Trump and, and, and classified documents. And the classified documents that were found in Biden's possession, he wasn't even supposed to see because he was vice president who has no executive authority. He had Obama's documents, something that the National Archives wrote a letter saying that they had all Obama's documents, which was obviously a lie because they found them all over Biden's house, who had no in, uh, ability to even see these documents. So my point is, if Trump is guilty of a crime, then let's see it. But if you're going to cast a wide net and go after his associates and his his managers just so you can possibly disrupt his life or his family or his companies. That is the problem that I have. But I've talked up. Go ahead, King. 
Oh, no, I, I agree with you on a lot of that. I mean, I think that they're, like you said, they're casting a wide net to try to just find something. They think, okay, well, he has to be guilty of something. We don't know necessarily what it is yet, but we have to get him on it. And they're completely disregarding all the other issues that are going on with the current administration. And you're right on those things. Yes, and that's what I agree. So we got, we got a call. Let's uh, go to BJ in North Olmstead. BJ. Thank you for taking my call. I have two points I'd like to make. Real quick, please. In six more years, it'll be 100 years that the uh, banks uh, caused the Great Depression of 1929. Yes. And they're trying to cause it again because they control most of what goes on in America. The banking system has always controlled what goes on because it's money. The second thing is about Donald Trump. Donald Trump is a businessman, and whatever they want to say about him, the four years that he served was one of the most uprising in, 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 in people working, having jobs, a better way of life. And he's not part of that system. He's not part of that sinkhole, the political one that's trying to make it a one-world government. And the damn shame is, is that a lot of American people are blind to that. He is a businessman that saw solutions, not problems. So we have dealing with two things, a corrupt banking system and a, and a political system that doesn't want an outsider like Donald Trump. But there's going to be a revolution in this country. God, God willing, it'll be a peaceful one. But the American public's fed up with the political system and, and all these lies about what's going on with the money. And thank you for your time. Thanks a lot, BJ. Kane. Yeah, no, I, I see what he's saying. And, and if you want to get back to the corrupt banking system here, too, I mean, the Federal Reserve at this point, they're supposed to come out with a report with what happened with SVB and things like that by May 1st, I think. The FDIC and um, the Federal Reserve, or I can't remember exactly the agencies that are making that point, but they like to blame um, risk management and just poor management of the banking of at least SVB in the first place as to what happened with the collapse. But you also have to remember, too, that the Fed is supposed to protect consumers, um, by, but they created an environment where investments lost value based on interest rates. I mean, so they, my point with that is, is that they had a decision to make where they can control interest rates, and then they go to do it, and they didn't necessarily take into account, or maybe they did and they just didn't care, as to what was going to happen after that. The whole point was to combat inflation. That's what we were told, right? But then they didn't take into account how people may have invested in those securities that were completely dependent on things like interest rates to hold the value that they were purchased at. So to a large degree, too, you can you can blame uh, the Federal Reserve for, um, for a lot of what's happening with banking crises in the first place. Yes, and and I always say this: the federal government, and you can add the the federal government, federal reserve. They are arsonists and they are firefighters. They start the fire and then they basically come running with a fire extinguisher. And that fire extinguisher, a lot of times, has more fire in it. Um, these people cause so many problems, but then they go and they huddle up in a room and say, "Okay, how can we fix it?" Well, a lot of times they can fix it by doing nothing. By they never think that. The solution to a problem is them not doing something. I believe in don't just uh, do something, sit there. I think sometimes that is the solution that they never consider. So, Kane, real quick, we got a minute or two left. So why don't you tell us, tell people how they can listen to the Modern Method podcast and how they can listen to, to me as well. <laughs> who joins you from time <laughs> <Yeah>. to time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So the modern method, uh, and you can just write that out and 
Spotify or Apple Podcasts. That's just what it's called, and you'll see our trademark. Well, it's not trademark. I wish it was, but it's a white and black logo that just has M's all over it, and it's just called The Modern Method. And um, you can find us on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts, or you can find us on themodmethod.com, so the M-O-D method. Dot com. And then we have links to everything that we have there. You can see Khalid's profile specifically <laughs> on our website with a little uh, little short bio on him. And all of our episodes are listed there. The ones that Khalid is in, we have uh, in parentheses featuring Khalid tomorrow so that you could try to find the ones that he's on. And yeah, I just in, encourage everybody to go find it on the website or you could just try typing it in and you should find it. Yeah, and I can't wait to first have that discussion we talked about on the Civil War. Let, let, we'll, we'll set that up. Um, very soon. I think that'll be fun. Thanks for joining me. Uh, I'm glad you had the time to join me today. I know you're a busy man. Um, we'll definitely talk again on these airwaves. Kane Schmidt, everybody from the Modern Method Podcast. Thanks a lot, Kane. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Fleet. It was a pleasure. All right. Wow. Time flies when you're having a great time. I love sitting in this chair. I love working with the staff here. We've got Josh Booth and Marianne. Um, Josh, thanks for the 80 sounds. Uh, it makes me, takes me back to my, my, uh, teenage years. Um, I, I want to just take a moment to say that, you know, be, sitting in this seat is, is special to me because there's a lot of people out there with microphones. A lot of them are, are, are imbeciles, right? I'm sorry. That slipped. They have a microphone. They have the internet and then they're talking. They don't have anything really necessary intelligent to say. But they have the ability to talk. This is free, you know, free speech country. You can talk. But I'm chosen to be here. Somebody had to pick me to be in this seat. I this isn't just something in 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 my living room or in my basement, and I got a microphone. No, I have a platform because someone chose my voice to sit here in this seat. So I take that as a uh, as an honor. And my brother Bob France calls on me, and I'm here. So I had a great time today. Thank you all. Follow me on Facebook, Colleen Omar on Facebook, Colleen Omar on Twitter. Sign the BuckeyeBlueprint.com uh, petition on the How Income Tax. I'm going to thank my guest, uh, Greg Lawson of the um, Buckeye Institute, Representative Adam Matthews, who sponsored the Ohio Income Tax uh, uh, HP1. Sign that petition, folks, if you want to see us eliminate the Ohio Income Tax. Thanks again for joining me here. I will see you all next time. God bless. Let's go, Brandon. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.